Adventures. I'm James Schoen. And I'm James Certin. Conversation, expertise and advice on the world and well-being of our teenagers. Hello and welcome to Talking Teenagers. We are with Dr Susie Davis, a GP and the founder of Papaya. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's good to be here and could you tell us a little bit about maybe yourself and what Papaya is all about? Great, thank you. So, um, well, as you said, my name's Susie Davies. I'm a GP in Bedminster, so just general practitioner seeing young people, old people, um, lots of kids, but I have an interest in mental health, particularly in young people, and that stemmed from a period of time when I worked at Bristol University as a GP there. I've also got three of my own children, so I'm part-time mum, or I should say full-time mum, And I've also set up the charity Papaya to help families and young people get a better balance with technology. So what what does Papaya stand for? So Papaya stands for Parents Against Phone Addiction in Young Adolescents. Okay. And we were talking just uh, before this, you you were saying that a lot of this idea was born out of your work, working in uh, Bristol University. And, you know, what did you find there? What was was your kind of experience? Mm -hmm. So I was working at Bristol University and I was really shocked by the level of mental health problems in students. Um, And actually it was at the time when obviously there were a lot of tragic suicides, but it felt like the suicides were just the tip of the iceberg. Underneath those headline events were just tens and tens of students with significant mental health problems. And I I just felt like I wanted to help do something um, further up the river rather than trying to rescue them when they were in trouble to think, what are the root of, of some of these mental health problems in young people and what can we do to change this upstream before it happens? And what have been your discoveries? Well, I think particularly interestingly through my conversations with the students, I would often come down to two things that I felt. One is that they struggle to like themselves, so real issues of low self-esteem. And I often would say to them, it's hard to feel happy if you don't like yourself. Let's work on building yourself up. Let's work on liking who you are. And then when we unpeeled that a bit further, I felt that often this was rooted in in excessive use of social media. So they'd spent their whole adolescence comparing themselves to others online and not really building up their own value and sense of self and also spending a lot of time on technology, maybe at the expense of doing other things that would improve their well-being. And so that's where papaya came from. Mm. Can you tell us a bit about papaya and exactly what you do? Well, so papaya actually was sort of came out of a conversation in a pub with two other mums. So we have almost teenage daughters and we were talking about what we were going to do with our girls when they hit secondary school and what, what we were going to do about phones and our concerns about mental health. And together we came up with this idea of papaya that we would try and help parents work together to come up with a good balance with technology for their families. And so what we do is we run parents' workshops. So we go into schools and we talk to parents both in junior school age and senior school about how to get a good balance in your family with technology. And then also we run schools workshops. So going into schools and working directly with children both in key stage two and three to help them get a good balance with technology. I've seen on your website there was a sort of correlation or a relationship between sort of cigarettes and cancer. Yeah. And um, I think the direct implication was the rising level of mental health issues in young people. Can that be attributed to social media, mobile phones? And although there's no hard and fast proof yet, the, the suggestion is that there must be something in that where, which is contributing to it. Are you able to unpack that a little bit? 
Yeah, so to me, it just doesn't feel like a coincidence that this, there, there is a rise in mental health problems in young people at a similar time to the introduction of smartphones with a bit of a time lag, a bit like smoking. You don't get lung cancer the day after you smoke your first cigarette. You get it 20, 30, 40 years later. And it felt like with the introduction of um, iPhones and the smartphone becoming really prevalent for young people with a time lag maybe of five years, that young people seem to be having more problems and actually evidence is beginning to come out that this might be the case so the Lancet issued a study only this summer saying that actually particularly girls were being really affected by using social media more than three times a day and they felt that was because they weren't sleeping as well and they weren't doing as many other things that are good for well-being like sport so it's early days I think um, the jury is still out but I I really wouldn't be surprised that over the years if more and more um, mental health problems are attributed to the excessive use of social media. I mean, that's interesting what you're saying. Is it is it that social media takes you away from things that are healthy for you, or is it in a sense intrinsically bad for you as well, if I can put it that way? Yeah. That's a really good question. I think it's a combination of both. I think the easier thing, the most obvious causes, I would say, would be sleep. So um, young people are checking their phones multiple times at night, and we know that without sleep, um, it's really hard to function well at school. It, poor sleep's linked with depression and anxiety. Um, but also, if you're checking your phone, if you're spending all hours and hours a day gaming, then just by science you can't be outside doing playing football or you can't be doing other things that we know are good for well-being so I think it's a combination of the direct effect on sleep and time but also an indirect effect where young people I think are much more prone to perfectionism in comparison to others through the effects of social media I read I think it may have been your website again the idea that actually people that are spend the most time on social media are often the lonely and loneliness and um and also the idea that people who are the loneliness are also have the most friends on social media, you know, and actually sort of the, the opposite is true. The people with the most friends are the ones who actually got the fewest, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's the study called All in the Mind that the, uh, the Radio 4 released last year. And they had found that the people with the most friends on Facebook actually reported the highest levels of loneliness. Now, obviously, that's um, just a link. It's correlational. It's not direct evidence. But this idea that people are spending hours and hours a day looking for friends online, not finding what they need which is connection and I think all of us as humans we need to connect with people we need to feel connected and obviously lots of young people use social media to feel connected and I think it does serve that purpose but if that's the sole way you're meeting people but it's the skin deep level isn't it yeah you know we need we need face-to-face interaction we need deep relationships as well and I think it's very hard to achieve that on social media I mean, it's a great irony, isn't it? The fact that we have the most connectivity in terms of communication mm. tools today, but actually not effectively used. We lose that face-to-face and, and depth of relationship, don't we? No, and I think social media can be great if you're using it to meet someone face-to-face, meet them for a coffee, arrange something that um, improves well-being and is actually interactive. That's fantastic. But if you're posting to 300 people um, something quite benign and looking for validation, I think, again, young people go to social media because they're feeling a bit down, feeling a bit low, feeling a bit bored, and they will post something because they're looking to be validated. They want to build up their self-esteem, but actually it's a very superficial and ineffective way to do it, so it just perpetuates the cycle. 
So you're, you're a parent, you're slightly worried about mobile phone use in your child. What, what kinds of things would you advise? Well, I think the first thing to say is just not to panic. I think it's really important to take time and pause and think about this and just to, to really think about what you value as a family. So I've got a little acronym that I um, give to parents and it's called FATE. And I say, don't leave your child's sort of social media or phone use up to FATE. And the F stands for a family media contract. Now, I wouldn't, I think of this much more about a conversation thinking about as a family, what do we value? How do we spend time together? How do we want to communicate? And how can we achieve this well? And for most people, this would just be talking to their kids about how you want to spend your time together as a family and what's acceptable. Do you want to be on your phones at the meal table or would you rather have face-to-face interaction? A stands for age-appropriate apps. So thinking about social media apps, what are their age limits? Most of them are 13 with parental consent, but some are older. And maybe trying to just hold off if you've got younger teens until they're the minimum age. And then for older teens, um, maybe just thinking about setting time limits on those apps. It's not that they're bad. Um, Young people want them. This is how they're communicating with each other. But a lot of the problems come when young people are spending too long on them so can you set some time limits so t stands for technology so using technology to to help you as a parent be on the front foot so um, just setting up good privacy settings on social media i've talked about the using technology to set limit time limits on their phone and just making sure you've got good um, firewalls in place you've got your blocking adult content and the e is just about engaging in conversation so again encouraging you as a family to spend time together to talk to each other and 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 enjoy each other's company so that that sort of leads me on to the next question of what are the the antidotes the the great antidotes that you would uh, encourage parents to encouraging their children in that if it's not social media what are the other things that they might want to be investing their time in so I, I totally agree you need to replace social media with something else I don't think you can leave a big hole in your young person's life and not want to fill it up with something that's positive so um, I think all the evidence shows that just face-to-face engagement is, is good for well-being so whether that's time together as a family or encouraging your young person to go out on trips with their friends go shopping anything outside time in the fresh air sport things that just get people young people interacting with each other and feeling good about themselves and actually my biggest one would be to do something that gives them purpose so actually to go out and make a difference to the world try and find something that makes them feel good about themselves but makes a difference to other people and be a giver yeah Yeah. and i think if you can turn around that mindset social media makes people look inward the whole time the whole time they're looking for validation looking for social media to make them feel feel better about themselves it never will the thing that will make you feel better about yourself is going out and making a difference to the world where would you point people to go with in that you know looking outwards have have you got any good examples of people who can well i think as a i'm sure if you go on the web and have a look there's lots of opportunities for young people young people's charities but i have an example last summer my daughter we were at a big campsite and her and her friend set up a stall and started selling all sorts of little bits and pieces but they made enough money to twin a toilet with the charity toilet twinning and they got a little certificate and they twinned a toilet in uganda and she said that was the highlight of her summer because she had done something that made a difference and it wasn't the other all the other fun things that we did it was actually the moment that she got to feel she'd made a difference to other people just coming back to the the fate idea it can get quite complicated can't it in a family where you've got different ages Mm. and stages how do you sort of recommend parents negotiate that because do you kind of have your 
we all do this, but then there's going to be nuance depending on different ages because sometimes it's a bit complicated, isn't it? It is complicated. So I think in every family there can be sort of almost two categories. Some might be your your red lines, your big nose that are appropriate for everyone. So in our family, there is no technology upstairs. Um, there's no technology in bedrooms. And that's the same for everyone, no matter what the age. But my eldest daughter, she does have a mobile phone. It's only a basic phone. But for her, we have a few different guidelines and boundaries to do with the amount of time she can spend on, spend on it. Um, and when she does get a smartphone, it would be very much about what apps she's allowed to download. But I think it's very there can be some overall family guidelines, maybe around where technology is allowed and meal times. And then I think very much age-specific guidelines because I think this very, very much depends on the age of the child. I think, you know, it's 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 like saying you wouldn't give a 16-year-old the keys to the wine cupboard and just say, go off, you know, you go and have as much wine as you like, but you might start introducing them to a glass of wine at mealtimes and hoping that you can teach them to drink a little bit and drink responsibly under your guidance. And I think it's the same with phones. We need to train our children that they can be a really positive, good thing in their lives, but they just need to learn how to do that with guidance and to do it appropriately for their age i was going to say it's you know we can't ignore the fact that these phones are there and they're here to stay are they it's about managing it and i like that idea of sort of process through which you do that yeah and i think the other thing is i think children can earn the right for the next stage when they do things well i think um children learn by making mistakes but they also they learn by being given responsibility and i think it's really important we we trust them and give them responsibility but at but then as they almost do that well, as they manage one area of their technology life well, then they can be given a bit of greater responsibility and a bit of greater freedom. But I think it's just important that parents engage in the programme rather than just thinking, oh, everyone's got a phone, let's just ignore the problem. I think we need to be proactive in, in helping guide them. I love the idea of Papaya and working together as a group as a, of, of, of parents. Um, would you offer any advice, you know, if you are a standalone parent and... You know, your daughter or your son is saying, but everybody does, but everybody does. How they may get a group of parents together. Yes, I think working as a community is one of the best things you can do. And what I would recommend is most parents are on, ironically, a WhatsApp group or have a class email. So you can reach out to parents either face-to-face in the playground or you're still in junior school, but that's a bit harder in senior school. And actually what I did in my daughter's year group was just send out a three-point survey to all 100 parents in her year group. And I just asked three questions. I said, what type of phone has your child got, if any? I said, what social media, if any, have they got? And then I asked if they had any good ideas for how we could help our children manage their phones well. And actually, I got a really good response rate. And then I just fed back to the year group. And things like it's quite interesting, a third of the year didn't have any social media. And that a lot of parents came up to me and they said, oh, I'm, thank you, because I can now sell my son or daughter. They are not the only one. And I think children always want you to make you think they are the only one without something. But I think by working together, we can help each other. And a lot of the parents said they didn't want their children to use their phones at night time. So that was something that as a year group, we were trying to encourage parents to, to all do the same thing and leave phones downstairs. You're listening to Talking Teenagers with James Certain and James Show. Is there any other kind of messages that you hear back from parents about this whole issue that are sort of familiar questions or or problems or worries? I mean, I think there's um, there's 
definitely parents are worried about this. Uh, this is definitely something now on the top of parents' radar, I'd say, that is a concern. I think it's very hard. The main problem I see is parents who have got children who are maybe mid to late teens, who've had a lot of time gaming and social media, and then how do you draw it back when they are addicted? That is really, really tough. I have a lot of parents who've got children with significant mental health problems, and really there, I do need to signpost them to the GP or mental health charities. Um, but all sorts of questions, all sorts of emails, there's never a dull moment <laughs> is there is there a peak time when the mobile phone sort of becomes that sort of object and actually as they they you know my eldest son who's now 18 i don't think uses his phone as much as he did when he was 15 or 16 or isn't this, there's not such a drive to use it which is really interesting. So um, according to Ofcom, nine to 11 year olds spend about 10 and a half hours a week online. But then that doubles to 21 and a half hours a week between 12 and 15. So I think really the age where young people are on their phones, a huge amount is 12 to 15. So we're trying to help working with the younger adolescents to try and prevent that, that steep rise in how much time children are spending online. Are there any sort of gender stereotypes in all this with gaming and social media? Well, it is a little bit gender stereotype, but generally I'd say girls are much more into their social media and boys are much more into their gaming. And actually boys come off better than girls from a mental health point of view. The studies are really pointing to it's, it's young women who are having significantly higher mental health problems than young men. That might be because men find it harder to, to come forward with their problems. I don't know, but it's, it seems to be the, the girls on the social media who are struggling more. Is that to do with comparison or unrealistic models or is it just because social media is, I guess, more complex than gaming, isn't it? <laughs> if we're doing, you know, in terms of there's all sorts of relationships and, and sort of nuance to it. Yeah, I mean, I think gaming in moderation is probably fun and just takes and is a way for young men to connect with each other. Obviously, people can get in addicted to gaming and it can be incredibly detrimental and really really damaging for well-being but i think the the generally high levels of social media that young women and girls are using is just causing a huge amount of problems because of that because it encourages comparison i think the desire to be perfect to have the perfect image um, and just comparing yourself your online you know other people's perfect online self to your real self and not realizing that actually the two are not the same people are using filters they're projecting the perfect bits of their life and that isn't reality in, the, in reality we all have good days and bad days we have good hair days and bad hair days and, and we need to accept each other and not be trying to only feel loved when we're, we're in the perfect place and I've heard that sort of FOMO is an issue, isn't it? Fear of missing out. The problem is now is there's, there's always 24 hours a day where you feel like you could be missing out. Yeah, I think that's huge. Again, I remember my adolescent days and suddenly realizing on a Monday morning that everyone had been to a party and you'd missed out and you're like, oh, I didn't get invited. But actually, that must be a thousand times worse when you start seeing all the, the photos come through and you realize that everyone else is in the here and now out and about together and that you weren't invited. I think it's the same for bullying, where traditionally bullying was in the playground and you could come home to a safer place it's now 24 7 and this again is really affecting young people's mental health when they're being bullied online and just can't escape from it can i ask that you know with your other hat on which is as the doctor the gp dr susie davies you know if somebody comes and sees you 15 16 year old and they've clearly got mental health problems what's your sort of i mean every case is going to be slightly different but do you have a fairly generic outlook on strategies as to how to help i think every case is different and the first thing is just to listen 
So really, I try not to interrupt. I try and sit and listen to, to what the issues are. And then really, from, from what um, issues the young person is presenting with, then we can ch I can channel um, sort of more direct questioning, trying to get to the root of, is there something that's gone deeply wrong in their childhood? Have they experienced some trauma? Is there something going wrong, wrong now at school? I always ask about technology use, because again, time and time again with the students, I could actually put down, find a direct link with their technology use and the problems they're experiencing. Um, so it's about listening and asking some, some probing questions, which they don't always want to answer, but then you can actually try and direct them to the, to the right help. For parents, are there any kind of things, that, you know, with regards to mental health, what, what should they be looking for without being paranoid? Yeah. Just are there little kind of bits and pieces you think if they're not if they're doing this or there's this happening then then just be alive to those. I think the thing I would say to parents is just to look out for a change in behaviour. You know your child, you know what's normal for them. Some children are quieter; they spend more time in their rooms. That is their natural. You know, that is how they naturally present. But I think if you're used to having an outgoing and bubbly child and suddenly they've gone much quieter, they're spending much more time on their own, looking at um, definitely eating habits as well. Have they stopped eating? Are they not doing things that they'd normally enjoy doing? So if your child loves swimming and suddenly they don't want to go to swimming practice, I think it's it's the change in behaviour that I think would alert alarm bells. And then it's just trying to spend time with them. The car is a great place when you're driving and they're in the back seat just to ask a few general questions about how they are or maybe to find another adult who they can trust who they can tr talk to because it is notoriously hard to get teenagers to tell you how they're feeling I think sometimes parents find that very hard isn't it because they're going through puberty and adolescence and you're never quite sure obviously that's a time of change and a time of flux and it's quite difficult to know sometimes is this just normal adolescent uh, you know and actually they are preparing to leave you in a way aren't yeah. they so you've got to sort of let them go, but when to intervene, when, when there's warning signs as opposed to just normal. And that's, I guess that's probably just talking to other people again and parents who've been through it and educators, I guess. I think it's really hard because the last thing you want to do is sort of jump in and panic when there isn't a problem. But I think just trying to keep the communication open and I think talking to young people that actually whatever they're feeling, whatever they do, you want to know that you're interested. The one thing the students... Um, would say, and often they were in deep distress, as I'd ask them, have you told your parents? And they'd say, oh no, I, I can't tell them. I can't tell my parents this. I don't want to let them down. Mm -hmm. So I think always as a, your parent, as a parent, letting your young person know it doesn't matter how bad they're feeling, what they're going through, if they feel like a failure, actually they're loved and accepted and that you they can tell you anything. And I think that's really, really, really important, having seen the damage done when young people can't share their problems with their parents. I guess a lot of stories are coming out in the media more now where people are more willing to share, you know, I didn't cope. And, and that's quite helpful, isn't it, for young people to have sort of role models and people who say they've struggled with this or struggled with that and pointing them in the direction of those stories or even talking to them about those stories. I think it's just really important for young people to realise that life isn't always straightforward, that I think often people are looking for this straight magic path that takes them straight through to university, a career and a perfect life. And the reality is it's, it's a very windy path with ups and downs, and that's normal. So I think, again, for young people to realise they will experience bumpy patches, they will have days where they're feeling bad about themselves. But as long as that's not a continual trend, that that's OK. And if they are having continual days where they're feeling low or feeling very anxious that it's really important to tell someone.
So back to Papaya, what, what other activities are you doing as a, as a charity? Well, so as I said, our main things are the parents and the schools workshops. So we're working really hard to get those up and up and running in the Bristol in the Bristol area. We're also looking to make some more sort of multimedia for schools. So our aim eventually would be to have some really good online resources that schools can use so that actually this core PHSE curriculum based about based on phone and technology addiction can be re- can be accessible by all teachers. Are you finding a strong demand from schools for this kind of training? Yes, there is definitely a demand from schools, particularly now that it's part of the core PHSE curriculum. We've got lots of schools contacting us, so yeah, it's exciting times. You've been listening to Talking Teenagers. Music has been by Rue Paynes. Editing by George Purvis and James Certin. For more information about I Can and I Am Charity, who provide presentations and resources and help build self-confidence in young people, visit their website at icaniam.com. Be a soul.